Welcome back to the Eclipse Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and I am delighted today to be joined by one of my favorite podcasters, a self-proclaimed Rajan Rondo superfan, I believe. That would be Michael Pina from Sports Illustrated. Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Oh my goodness, Sabrina. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I, I am a Rajan Rondo superfan for the record. Well, what's interesting is I feel like in the intervening days since I asked you to come on the show, you've also become a Terrence Mann super fan, if I you know deduce correctly from your Twitter. Fair. Yes, very <laughs> fair. Very fair. Um, this is a great time to be talking Clippers, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Uh, I mean, when you reached out, I was like, okay, I need to watch every Clippers game from now until I speak to Sabrina. And um, Terrence Mann is just like a revelation. It's not like I, I wasn't aware of his abilities before. But I mean, he's one of those players who is like evolving from game to game almost. Mm-hmm. And I forget who said it, what broadcaster, but he like, he totally changes the DNA of the team. Like if they had someone like this last year, who knows how things would have gone. Maybe they still would have lost to the Nuggets in the playoffs, but um, just like a, a young athletic wing who can do so many different things for your basketball team on both ends of the floor. Like that's, that's huge for them. Right. And that's, you know, kind of a good place to start because they did have Terrence Mann last year, but he was sort of profiled as a backup point guard, which I found hilarious. But I guess just because of the fact that the Clippers didn't have a backup point guard and that's the role that they wanted to fill him into. Mm -hmm. But I think it's pretty clear uh, from everyone who has watched the Clippers this year that he is much better suited to be a wing. And his emergence has been one of the main reasons, I think, that the Clippers have won six of their last eight games. The last two have not been so pretty, these losses to Orlando and Denver. But I think on the whole, this is a much closer version of the Clippers as contenders than we were seeing back in February. And you were one of the people who had, you know, a higher opinion of the Clippers at the start of the season, I think, than most. I'm curious, why was that during the preseason? And has anything happened like over the course of the last three months that has caused you to, I don't know, change that opinion in a good or a bad way? Hmm. So I think part of my rationale is, I mean, it begins with the fact that they have Kawhi Leonard on their team, the fact that they have Paul George on their team. So I'm like, okay, this is a championship contender based on everything I know about NBA basketball. These are two top 12, I don't know wherever you want to put Paul George this season. He's kind of tricky to rank, but like Kawhi for me is like top five always. Mm -hmm. And last year coming off of the or I guess two coming off the, when he led the, when he was the finals MVP for the second time in his career, I was like, this guy is the best player in the world and no one could tell me wrong. And I was probably a little wrong about that, but that's okay. <laughs> He's very good. Um, but coming into this season, I was kind of like, okay, so they were disappointing in the bubble. And I tried not to put too much stock into what happened in the bubble as a predictor for what would happen this season for a lot of reasons, but I think some of them are obvious, just um, this season would not take place in the bubble and the bubble is its own environment where, I mean, a small example, uh, Paul George dealing with a lot of uh, really dark things related to his own mental health that might not have occurred had uh, the playoffs been in a, a, a different environment um, under normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a slight example um, of something that went wrong for them as a basketball team in such a unique 
environment. And, you know, Mantra's Herald being out of shape is another one because um, of quarantining and isolation and the rift that was spawned by Lou Williams leaving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I look at the talent, I look at uh, some of the pieces that they brought in that I really liked. And um, I was really high on Nick Batum coming into the season and he made you me and look no smart. one else. <laughs> I know he made me look really smart, even though I'm not taking credit at all for any of my optimism. Um, I just thought that like, I'm a big believer in, in fit and context when it comes to guys who I know can play basketball. Um, so Nick Batum playing poorly with no stakes in Charlotte, it, it's not that surprising. I mean, I, he's a human being who's just like, uh, was going through whatever he was going through. And so you put him on a team where, uh, he doesn't need to play make. He doesn't need, like his responsibilities are so much more streamlined with Kawhi and with PG and with a point guard who's reliable. Um, and with a Baca, it's just, I, I thought that he would be a better, more uh, reliable basketball player. And that turned out to be the case. Um, I was also really high on Luke Kennard coming in. Um, that hasn't worked out as well, but I still feel pretty good about him down the stretch. And, uh, and you know, I would like for them to give him more of a leash, a longer leash, but it's kind of tough with just how the rotation is shaken out. And Terrence Mann, as we've talked about briefly at the top, is deserving of you know 42 minutes a game so what are you going to do way i would think yeah <laughs> yeah so um but canard like you know he's been in and out of the rotation when he's in the rotation most recently when paul george was out uh he played fantastically and i really love what he brings to the table just as um as a, a tertiary ball handler someone who can hit a step back three um, who is really underrated still as a, as a passer and who's not terrible uh, um, as a help defender either. So uh, I was feeling good about the pieces coming in. And right now, uh, you know, they add Rondo, who is just, uh, I mean, a man among <laughs> boys. And, uh, and you kind of, nothing against Lou Williams, but um, I feel like losing the Lou Williams minutes is a little bit of addition by subtraction um, in shipping him to Atlanta, um, especially for a team that's trying to win uh, the championship. Uh, Lou Williams has never really had a game that's fit in postseason basketball quite like a Rondo has. Um, so, so yeah, that, I hope that I, I feel like I'm rambling right now about my, my Clippers optimism this season, but I feel like I'm, uh, there were some dips and, some high points and it's been a roller coaster ride, I think for every team in the league, frankly, mm. but right now I feel really good about them winning the championship. Yeah. I think I probably like led you in just a terrible direction with that <laughs> question, but no, I, I think your Clippers optimism is very well founded. And I feel like, you know, this Clipper season can sort of be divided into three separate phases. There was that initial portion where they looked really good, where they basically delivered on all of the promise that they had preseason and they eventually climb to the best record in the league. And then Paul George gets hurt and he misses about eight games with that foot injury. And they sort of go through this lull, right? Where they don't win consecutive games for about a month, I want to say. And now we're back in, I want to maybe like the last 10 games or so starting in Dallas where they started playing defense again. Mm -hmm. I want to say they started playing defense for the first time this season and they start looking like the Clippers that you would expect to be as contenders. And 
we got the news last night that Paul George said that he's still feeling pain in his foot. They don't know how it's going to be managed throughout the course of the season. If it's going to be something that will be lasting. And to me, that was really like red light, very concerning because like I said, the, the lull with the Clippers basically started when they lost PG and they've got a lot of depth. Like you said, you know, Kennard had a really nice showing in the starting lineup in Paul George's place. I think there's a lot of things he can do. It's, it's interesting to watch him get more minutes as a starter, but the best version of this team is actualized with Paul George and top 15, top 12, whatever kind of player you want to call him. It's, it's Paul George. So before we get to the injury part of it, um, has Paul George met your expectations this season? Just like as the second superstar on a title team? Wow. That's a really good question. Um, I've, I've gone through periods this year where Paul George, I felt like he was the most underrated player in the entire NBA. And some of that is based on, you know, you, I, I think reputations are obviously forged in the playoffs mm-hmm. and he humiliated himself in a lot of different ways in the playoffs on and off the court. Um, um, referencing, I'm referencing, uh, you know, his statement that they weren't necessarily all in to win the championship last year. It's just like one of the most mind boggling statements I've ever heard a player make. Um, obviously they were, <laughs> <laughs> So it's hard to believe you... that a team trades five first round picks and is not all into winning a championship, but yeah, that would be news to Steve Ballmer for sure. Um, but so coming into the season, you know, I think that a lot of people were a little bit down on him, understandably. And he just shot, I mean, the way he shot the ball this year is just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, you kind of, uh, like I was trying to craft MVP cases earlier in the season for Kawhi because that's what I do to make Ben Golliver, my co-host on the Open Floor Podcast, mad. <laughs> and um, you know, I would stack his numbers next to, Kawhi, uh, to Kawhi's numbers next to Paul George's, and they were almost like identical, if not Paul George was a little bit more efficient. So I'm kind of like, okay, is Paul George like an MVP candidate? Like, what's going on here? Um, and no one's talking about this and the Clippers aren't terrible. They're still very good. Um, so I guess like to answer your question about whether or not he exceeded my expectations, I, th- I think so a little bit, but like, I'm all, I've always been like really high on what type of player he is in this era of being a big wing who can shoot threes without any help. Like, He's a guy who can run a great pick and roll. He can read um, basically any defensive coverage and uh, um, uh, uh, and and he has incredible playmaking instincts. But like as a, uh, a scorer, just like someone who has the step back, who has the sidestep, who can get downhill at will, um, I think getting to the free throw line has been the issue for sure. And you know, I don't know now going forward how this injury is going to impact his aggressiveness on uh, or his willingness to even muck it up in the paint a little bit. But I also haven't really seen any like true fall off at all from him on the defensive end, which is where he originally like made his name as an NBA player, as a really great NBA player. So, um, yeah, I, I 
am a big fan of everything that Paul George brings to the table. I would really like to see him be more consistent in a playoff setting post that gruesome injury that he had um, when he was still with the Pacers. But like, I think like another one of the factors when I think about Paul George as a Clipper is that not a lot of people talk about is like when he first came to the team, he missed a, a good chunk of the season to start because of dual shoulder su- shoulder surgery, which is like a huge deal when you're trying to yeah. integrate with a whole bunch of new teammates with championship expectations. So this year, you know, you come in, he's feeling healthy. They have the training camp, et cetera. Um, and so from that perspective, I was expecting a little bit more from him than um, maybe even last year. But I would say that he's lived up to everything and they were wise to lock him up when they did and extend his contract. Um, I think he's worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like you said about the playoffs, there are a lot of easy ways to make fun of Paul George and we hear a lot of that. (laughs) Quite a lot of that. Sure. (laughs) Uh, The images, you know, they're just so hard to get out of your head. Mm -hmm. And I, I too have had some difficulty like, keeping the same expectations of Paul George considering his playoff performances, I think since he came to the Western Conference, even the later ones in Indiana when they went up against LeBron James, we're not, we're not terrible. Like that was still Paul George rising to the level of LeBron, I think, but not having anyone to meet him there. But the, the Western Conference playoff appearances have not been great. And I, I'm not of the belief that there's anything like structurally wrong with Paul George, that he won't be able to get to that level again, especially like you said, when he's once again, properly a number two guy behind Kawhi Leonard and they're not in that situation of the bubble but it is very much a wait and see kind of thing because I fully understand Clipper fans who don't aren't ready to believe it until they see it and that's totally fair because Kawhi Leonard as you mentioned has the track record and uh, is much easier to have faith in in that particular situation but I think it's fair to say that despite you know the ups and downs of the season and everything the Clippers have gone through you still have very high faith that this is a title contender maybe one of the favorites to win? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, well, my definition of a title contender is super broad. Okay. I will rope basically anybody in <laughs> um, just because I think it's more fun that way. Um, but no, like when it comes down to it, like I, if I had to pick four teams that I can really like I bet my life that they will be one of these four teams will win the NBA championship. The Clippers would be one of those four teams for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes back to a lot of what I said at the top about star power. Um, I really like Ty Lu as the head coach. And, you know, I was talking with someone the other day about a potential, Oh, wouldn't like, how can you pick the Clippers to win it all? Um, when, they might go up against the Nets in the finals. And I'm like, well, like we can discuss like the uh, on-court um, differences between those two teams mm-hmm. at nauseum. But like, I, I have a lot of questions about Steve Nash as a head coach in a playoff series, let alone winning four in a row in his first go around. And I really don't have those questions about Ty Lu and that coaching staff, which is arguably the best coaching staff, the best bench in the league by a mile. Um, So I have a lot of confidence in them kind of navigating, um, being flexible throughout the playoffs, throughout a postseason run with a roster that is like just able to play so many different styles. Um, They can go big. I expect them to go 
Um, maybe smaller in the playoffs than they have in the regular season. I think they've been saving that um, a little bit. And so uh, they've had to go to it a little bit more with, um, with Ibaka out recently, but uh, playing Morris at the five um, uh, can be a really successful thing for them against certain matchups. And just even just having that as an option is really helpful. Um, having a small stretch five who's been lights out from behind the three-point line is a really good thing when you already have one of the best offenses in NBA history um, on your side, and that's what you're deploying. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm really high on the Clippers still. Uh, I guess, like, when I think about why people are so down, it kind of bums me out because – like if you just think about historically, like NBA basketball, um, you don't you're not supposed to give up on a team when they lose, like in their first chance. Like it's so it's just so silly to me. Like because they didn't win the championship last year and they lost in the second round, that like they can never win. That just is it's like asinine. So um, I personally think like when you go through a tough situation as a team with the core pieces that they still have who were on the team last year, like that makes you stronger and they will be um, more resilient when they are, if they are down in a second round series two one or whatever it is. Like, I think they will bounce back more than they did um, obviously last year. So I have a lot of reasons why I like this team, how they play. Um, I mean, statistically you can just go through and, especially after the all-star break, their defense is back um, to a top 10 level. I think they're eighth after the all-star break. Their offense is just not something to worry about at all. And, uh, and yeah, I think they can match up with any team in the Western conference. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the, the deep coaching bench thing, because the fact that Kenny Atkinson was a head coach as recently as last season and is now just leading the player development for the Clippers just shows what, like an abundance of resources they have around Tyloo. And I really like the idea of a Kenny Atkinson revenge factor against Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, Should they match absolutely. Up in the postseason. I can't wait. And let's face it, if they lose to the Nets in the finals, this season is still objectively a success for the Clippers who have gotten that far. So cross that bridge when we come to it. But you <laughs> talked about all the reasons that you like this team. Obviously, there is a major reason why you like this team even more as of a week ago because they acquired Rajon Rondo. And I am one of the people who didn't think that they needed to move Lou Williams because I, I thought that his playoffs last year was really underrated. You know, despite the fact that he shares a lot of his minutes with Montrez Harrell, he was a positive player for them through both of those series. Uh, I think he's figured out a way to make his game effective, even when the foul calls, you know, go down a little bit in the playoffs. And for the last two seasons, even that series against the Warriors, when they sort of surprised him and went to six in 2019, he's been a pretty good playoff player. I understand that he's not playoff Rondo, but I was surprised that they made that move. You, on the other hand, had been trumpeting Rondo to the Clippers for a very long time. This specific trade, I believe, <laughs> maybe not down to the years of the second rounders, but why did you think that the Clippers needed Rondo? Well, I think every team needs Rondo first sure. and foremost. He's just the God. He's incredible. Um, no, I mean, you know, coming out of last season, the way they lost, um, the way Rondo played for the rival, the in-town rival, the Lakers, 
Um, I thought it would just be fun if Rondo was like, okay, I'm going to go now to the Clippers and intensify that rivalry. And hopefully would be, we would be able to see those two teams meet in a playoff series and it would get really feisty. And I was just looking forward to that. But like, I don't necessarily know if the Clippers needed a, I mean, Kawhi seemed to think that they needed a point guard. Doc Rivers thought that they needed a point guard last season before he left. And that was one of the the personnel moves that he was um, very for before they let him go. Um, But like, I I don't even know how to quantify like Rondo's impact. I really don't. And I I think about him all the time because he is my favorite player since uh, for at least like the last 10 years. Um, But he's just like so special in the biggest moments in playoff series. And I think now, especially in that Lakers run where he's just like left wide alone, like wide open, guys don't even rotate to pretend to to close out on him. And when he hits those shots, like those super, no one within 10 feet threes, like those are cool, whatever. And I understand that he messes up your spacing and all of that but he's just like such a brilliant pick and roll playmaker still. He, like the hit ahead passes, the lobs that are just like arrhythmic with what's everything else that's going on in the game. Like no one sees it coming and he just gives a little, like a a flick of the eyebrow to, I I guess it will be to Abaka or Zubac or whoever. Um, Like, I don't know. Like I, I always think about in the Nuggets series, I forget what game, but he like forced like three or four turnovers on consecutive plays in the second half. It was like later in the series too. And he was was harassing. Yeah. He was just harassing Jamal Murray, probably fouling the crap out of him. (laughs) But that's the thing, like it's the playoffs and sometimes you don't get those whistles and he knows all that. And he's just like so smart and so savvy. And to say nothing of like, how he will impact the team in the locker room and the things that he will like gleam from the sideline and what he'll say to Kawhi, what he'll say to Paul George, um, what he'll say to Terrence Mann or Luke Kennard if they're in a shooting slump in a series or something like that. Just like having his presence around is just unquantifiably beneficial. And yeah, like I don't think he's necessarily going to average, um, even you know 20 minutes a game like that's just I, I i don't think that's going to happen but he he will make the most of his minutes when he's on the floor and somehow make everybody else around him better despite not being guarded <laughs> when his team is the ball yeah i mean there's there's no real denying the myth of playoff rondo at this point uh i was a skeptic um i, I didn't think that after, you know, posting a negative net rating with LeBron James during the regular season that Rondo would be able to turn it on in the playoffs. And he's so slippery. Lo and behold, I don't think the Lakers win the Houston series if he doesn't come back. Like his defense on James Harden, of all people. And I I did a ranking of the, like the most like, no, 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 yes, threes that he hit during the postseason last year. It's just, it's a ridiculous set of shots. And it's exactly what you were talking about. Like, yeah, he doesn't get guarded, but he just has a sense of the moment. I do think that based on how he's played in Atlanta this year, we're, we're really testing the myth of playoff Rondo uh, because 
my goodness, is he going to have to raise his level to be a positive player once again during the postseason? But I mean, after 10 years or whatever, like there's only one blip on his resume, just those two games in Dallas, which didn't quite work out in the playoffs, but those were tough. Yeah, those are, there's those are tough times for me personally. I think it's just the exception that proves the rule. You know, like this is a, a real thing, playoff Rondo. And I have no reason but to believe in it, even if the regular season proves to be something of a slog to get to that point. But you mentioned that, you know, I don't even know if he's going to get 20 minutes. It brings us to an interesting question about the Clippers backcourt rotation at this point, because nominally they want to start Patrick Beverly and Paul George. And then you've got, Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, uh, Terrence Mann, and now Rondo competing for all of those backcourt minutes. I don't really think any of them can move to the three, maybe Terrence a little bit. And then obviously they move PG to the threesome, but that's not a lot of minutes for those four guys. And I think all four of them have legitimate cases to be in the rotation. I'm curious how you see that playing out, like which of those players, other than Rondo, because obviously he's going to be a sage who delivers glory to the Clippers for the first time in their franchise's history. But among the other three, the Reggie, Terrence, Kennard, let's even throw Pat Bevin there. Who do you think stands to be the most impactful in the playoffs? Who should be getting the most minutes? How should the Clippers be staggering their rotation there? It's, it's a very interesting question. Um, I mean, from the top, like you're just assuming like you're penciling in Pat Beverly as the starting point guard, if he's healthy no matter what, or do you think that there is some wiggle room there for another player to kind of replace him in the starting lineup? I'm going to say starting point guard, no matter what, if he's healthy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't necessarily disagree. Um, I mean, if I'm looking at like odd man out situation, like just someone who's just not going to get in the rotation and not going to play really at all. um, It's like almost impossible to, pick anyone like right <laughs> I I mean we know Ty Lue has already taken Kennard out of the rotation um I think like you know he's also told Reggie Jackson pre obviously the trade deadline and moving Lou Williams that Reggie Jackson would be out of the rotation um and to just stay ready in case anyone got hurt etc like if I'm just like power ranking these guys I mean, I might have Terrence Mann one slash I, I think I definitely have Terrence Mann one, but like, I don't think he'll start or anything, but I do think that like in the playoffs as someone who is hit, he, like he doesn't take a lot of threes. He hits them when he's open. Um, he has ridiculous confidence in creating a zone shot in like long for like long twos and step backs and creating space and like the plays that he makes that really stun me are like when he'll beat his man off the bounce without a screen get to the rim get under the rim and then kick it out to Batum or um, Kennard or Marcus Morris behind the three-point line wide open like those are really hard passes and he makes them happen. And he's also like a pretty good rebounder. Like, I don't even know, like, I don't know how many Laker fans listen to um, this podcast. I'm going to say like, very few. <laughs> okay. Um, Cause like, Bring I've the been, slander, Michael. <laughs> I've been thinking of doing like a, like uh, creating, having someone create for me. Cause I don't know how, like a tired wired meme where Tired is Alex a, fake, a picture of Alex Caruso and, and Wired is a picture of Terrence Mann. Like, 
I, 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 <laughs> I, I just think like Terrence Mann is like every, whenever someone looks at Alex Caruso, who I don't think is bad or anything, like Terrence Mann does all that and more already. Um, and like, he's gonna need to play a ton. I mean, you tweeted recently, like he's closing games, like playing the entire fourth quarter. He's super valuable. He has the trust of his coaches, trust of his teammates. Um, I really love how they use him as a screener with Kawhi. Um, and defenses are really screwing up with that and they don't really know what to do. And, you know, when you trap Kawhi in those situations, cause you don't want to switch or you just go up to touch and then you're a little bit slow to recover. Like man will slip to like the free throw line, catch the pass and then know exactly what to do. Like it really reminds me of how Bruce Brown's playing with the nets and it's really fascinating to see. So I just, I love the wrinkles that he brings to the team, the athleticism, the youth that we already discussed. Um, he's great. So like, if I'm just trying to say who is, who's deserving the most of minutes and like a guaranteed 25, whatever it is, like it's going to be him for me. It's funny. He only played nine minutes in the first half of yesterday's game against Denver. And like all I could think about during halftime was, was why, like, what are we doing where Terrence Mann isn't on the court at all times? Because he comes onto the court, he gets downhill. Nobody else on the Clippers gets downhill, at least not at the pace that he does. Like he actually collapses defense. Like you said, he's remarkably confident in draining these jumpers. Like he'll just stare a guy down, size him up and just splash a three in his face. And I don't know where he got the confidence to do that. Like I I'm sure he puts the work in obviously, but it's such a big step to have gone from nobody is guarding me at the three point line. And I'm still not taking the shot to there's a guy draped over me and I'm just going to, you know, slash the three in his face. He has the Rondo card in his wallet. He had that last year. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't play him though. Give him the opportunity to let that shine. I cannot tell you how many times Terrence Mann would be in the game. He would be open in the corner. They would pass him the ball. He would shot fake out of it. And the bench would just collapse because they were so disappointed that he wouldn't take the shot. And it's so refreshing just to see him take the shots, let alone make the shots. Mm -hmm. Uh, I cannot say enough about the player development staff that the Clippers have assembled. Like the way he has confidence is just, it's, it's incredible. But I I think I was asking about a lot of other guards and we only talked about Terrence Mann in that entire second. As we should. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Luke Kennard, Reggie Jackson, I don't really know what's going to happen with them in the playoffs. I don't think they're like a make or break situation for the Clippers. If they find minutes for them, great. If they don't, I think they'll be fine. Otherwise, I do think they have to find minutes for Terrence Mann. It's becoming increasingly clear that he just provides an element that nobody else on the Clippers does. Uh, My only question is, do we worry about this being sustainable in the playoffs? Mm. I mean... If he's in a five-man unit with like a Baka, Batum, PG, and Kawhi, he's the guy who's going to just be left alone. And those are shots that like you gotta hit. Mm-hmm. And so we don't we don't really we like we don't have an answer for how he's going to perform if he's in a situation like that. Um, I have faith that he'll be incredible, but I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like how we've already plugged him into the closing lineup ahead of Rajon Rondo. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well I they assume that's your closing lineup. 
yeah, well, maybe we'll do an off- offense defense substitutions. We'll see how it works out. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, no, he's been, he's been terrific. Um, I guess I, I have a question for you. That's I hope not sidetracking things too much, but like, who do you, who do you like more between Kennard and Reggie Jackson? Because like, for me, I, I feel like Reggie is like super underrated and kind of a punching bag because of a lot of different things that have happened in his career from the contract mm-hmm. to uh, just beefing with Westbrook and Kevin Durant in Oklahoma city. And I mean, beefing uh, with Westbrook is like, you know, makes it's a rite of passage. It's a rite yeah. of passage. Exactly. Especially among the Clippers. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, he's been, like a solid to good player for his role and what they've needed out of him this season. Um, but like Kennard, I don't know. There's something like about Luke Kennard every single time he shoots and every single time he makes a decision, like I'm, I'm there with it. Like, I love it. Um, so I don't know. Like, how do you look at those two players and, and, and sort of like how their minutes might be? Cause I feel like those are the, like the two really that, are going to be fighting for whatever remnants of playing time are is available um when when tyloo wants to go extra small or play three guards at the same time or something like that like what do you you think about those two in comparison right i think those are the two guys who would be fighting for the ninth spot maybe the is that 10th am i counting right so there's rondo zubac and batum oh and man off the bench they're gonna be fighting for that 10th spot in the rotation which may not even be a thing when Ty Lue gets to the playoffs, but I am naturally disposed to like Luke Kennard better because he went to Duke and I went to Duke and I adore his game. So <laughs> there's just no getting around that. Uh, I think Reggie, it's very clear when it's going to be a good Reggie game and when it's not going to be a good Reggie game. And there is a large variance between the good Reggie games and the not good Reggie games. Like, his decision-making is all out of whack. He takes shots when Kawhi Leonard is standing there asking for the pass. Like there are things that go very wrong in the Reggie Jackson experience, but he's also just a more confident decision-maker than Luke Kennard is at this point in their careers. And when he's feeling it, like he's a really good catch and shoot player. Uh, he just fits in the gaps, you know, where he pushes the pace a little bit more than Luke Kennard does, which I think is a nice addition considering the way the Clippers play. Uh, so like the best version of Luke, of Reggie Jackson to me is better than what Luke Kennard is at this point. I just don't know how often you're going to get that. And if Tyloo is willing to, you know, go into the situation where he plays two minutes of Reggie and realizes, okay, this is not happening today. And then switches to Kennard, then great. But I just don't think that ego has worked that way, that a guy is going to be okay with, you know, coming in for two minutes and then being subbed out. Uh, my gut says that the coaching staff trusts Reggie Jackson more than Luke Kennard for whatever reason. And the fact that he, I guess has played in the playoffs before with Oklahoma city and, you know, was had some nice moments, I think against Memphis back in the day, like that's some semblance of playoff history that exists is going to make him more likely to get on the court. What you're describing is like literally 35 years ago in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) it's like a different lifetime yeah i don't think it it's uh, rational but i do think that reggie jackson is currently ahead of luke Kennard on the pecking order and it is going to take something seismic to change that that's a bummer 
It just is. And I'm not even connected via Duke at all. <laughs> that was quite the laugh you got there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I try to disentangle all this stuff from like the contracts that players are on. Mm-hmm. But like Luke Kennard's contract is so fascinating to me. And I, I, I mean, I, I get like the thinking behind it, but like why you would, I don't know, like as an organization, it seemed like you were very into this player and what he could bring to um, your environment and to see him out of the rotation, despite like, it's not like he's played terribly, you know what I mean? Like he's no, not. he's not. It's like, it's very, it's confounding to me in a lot of ways. And so I leave open the door for the possibility of him kind of being back in the rotation a little bit in the playoffs. I mean, like, I don't, I just don't understand why they've been so down on him um, as a coaching staff. To me, it's just that he hadn't played for a year and it took him some time to learn the system and play as quickly and freely as they wanted him to. And I I think you should have been expecting that coming into the season, but for whatever reason, the fact that Reggie was already there and had some institutional continuity with the rest of the guys by being here for the end of last season, just put him a little bit ahead, you know, in that race. I, I don't think that Reggie has done enough, frankly, to stay ahead, but I'm also, I think in the minority, like I think a lot of Cooper fans have come around on Reggie Jackson. So we'll really? see how that works out. Yeah. Is that what's that was hap- that's what's happening? It's actually what's happening. Uh, there is a a lot of love for what Reggie Jackson's been able to do in the this recent stretch of injuries, you know, since he's been playing in place of Patrick Beverly. So, you know, hey, it's, it's nice for him to get some shine. How, how is uh, Clipper Nation feeling about Patrick Patterson? Uh, good question. Um, <laughs> Does Clipper Nation have an opinion on Patrick Patterson? They know he's on the team. Probably a better question. They know he's on the team because he missed a lot of threes last night. And that was a a topic of concern. Uh, I I don't think there really is an opinion on Patrick Patterson other than why is Patrick Patterson playing? So, which he won't be when Serge Ibaka is healthy. So, not a concern. Yeah. I think the the thought was they gave him $3 million. He's going to be packaged into a trade. And then he wasn't packaged into a trade. So, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway... Uh, as long as we're talking about bigs, I do have a question for you about Serge Ibaka and Vita Zubac because, you know, the the party line among all Clipper fans last year was why isn't Zubac playing more? Why isn't Zubac playing more? I mean, I mentioned the Terrence Mann closing fourth quarters thing like it was a, a running joke for Vita Zubac to come out of the game with six minutes left in the third quarter and never get back in because that's how long Trez's shifts were. And he's playing more minutes this year, but he's not starting, uh, obviously, until Ibaka got hurt and now he's done great with the starters. I don't think it's an accident that the Clippers have been their best defensively when Zubac is in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. So Ty has been pretty clear that when Ibaka comes back, he will once again be the starter. I'm not so sure that that's the right way to play it, but I'm curious how you see it. I mean, I'll just start by saying like Zubac is like criminally underrated and yep. I don't really even understand how you play on a championship contender in the role that he has and still just be so invisible to everyone. Like no one talks about him. It's so crazy. (laughs) He's like really solid and he doesn't make mistakes and um, like really competent pick and roll defender, which is 
really the name of the game if you are a big man right now. Um, like solid rim protector, um, good rebounder, finishes everything around the rim, great hands, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I just don't get it. But like the one thing he can't really do that they brought in Abaka to do, obviously, is space the floor a little bit, um, give some type of um, uh, pick and pop presence. Um, Abaka doesn't really pop and shoot threes, I think, uh, as much as people um, think he does. But the threat of him just even doing that and and where he positions his body is not something that Zubac can do. Um, I mean, the numbers for Abaka in the starting lineup, um, particularly like the old starting lineup with um, Batum, or just like when he when he was on the floor with Batum, PG, and Kawhi, like that la- lineup data is absolutely ridiculous, and I think for good reason. Um, the pick and roll chemistry in particular with him and Kawhi has been excellent all season. And I mean, Kawhi pick and rolls period are one of the most efficient things you can do in the NBA. Um, But Ibaka really, I think is elevated it to another level and there's some data that supports that. Um, So I guess like, you know, I would, I understand why they, why they want to not, make Serge feel like um, he lost his spot due to injury or anything like that. And I mean, he's been playing so well, or he was playing so well and made a lot of sense for them. Like, I think one of the more interesting questions between like who is going to start between those two is just how the Clippers are going to finish most games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, last night we saw them go super small against Jokic for a stretch when I think they were in kind of desperation mode a little bit, but like, I don't know, like how often are they going to not have a true big on the floor in the playoffs? I think is a really fascinating question. And I know internally with that organization, you know, they've talked about just like playing those jumbo non point guard, non center lineups that they can have where it's like Batum, Morris, uh, PG, Kawhi, and fifth guy I'm like blanking on right now. Um, Man. Sure. Yeah, of course. The God. Um, <laughs> but like those, th- that those types of lineups are, are like, you can switch everything. Um, you don't give a ton up rebounding wise or defensively because of the personnel. Um, and like, you're going to get great shots on every possession. So that's really interesting to me. And I think it will be matchup dependent. I don't think you're going to go small um, if you play the Nuggets or if you need someone to deal with Anthony Davis um, for significant minutes in crunch time. But I, I am fascinated by that look for them and how often they play it. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I think about when I think about the Clippers and their front, their front court situation. Um, but like, if to answer your question, I would, I would, I would, pro- if I was Tyloo, I would probably start Ibaka, and maybe I'd ramp up um, Zubac's minutes a little bit, coming off the bench, and play him as much as I could um, with Kawhi and PG. And that'd be pretty difficult, but. Um, but yeah, like he's just so good. Like he's, I mean, I'm just going to call him the best backup center in the league, but 
I'm doing that without like knowing. Oh, I think you're right. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Wendell Carter is making yeah. a claim for the throne at this point. But. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like he's, he's great. And so I don't, I don't think you can go wrong with either choice, but um, I do like the space um, and the versatility on offense that Ibaka can provide. Yeah. I'm sort of in the camp that I like the Clippers just being able to put some pressure on the rim with the starting lineup and Zubac just does that more than anybody else. I mean, like there's a lot of ways you can put pressure on the rim and nobody on the Clippers does it. So uh, that's why I like <clears throat> Zoo with the starters. But I think, I think you're right that the closing question is a lot more interesting than the starting question because whoever they start is going to be fine and they're going to put up great numbers with that lineup. And it's really just a matter of how they finish games because that's really what's been the problem for the Clippers mm-hmm. this year. I think the sample size has been so small that I don't think there's any like meaningful conclusions to draw from their crunch time data. Like it's, it's been bad, you know, and it, it looks worse. Like when you add in that, what 11, nothing run that the magic ended the game on the other day, you know, it's, it's not pretty. And I, I'm not terribly concerned about it just because the Clippers were excellent in the crunch last year and then they just sucked in the playoffs. So, you know, stuff like that happens. I, yeah. I didn't put it on our list of things to talk about because I have nothing interesting to say about it. So that's where I went. I think real quick, like crunch time in general this season. I mean, I, I think so much this of this season is very random. This is the mm-hmm. most random season in NBA history for obvious reasons. And crunch time within this season, unless you're talking about like Dame Lillard, where, okay, I get why the Portland Trailblazers are exceptional or even the Hornets. Like I get why the Hornets are exceptional in crunch time, mm-hmm. but like there's so many teams that are struggling in crunch time. And it's just like, you look at the three point shooting and it's like, Oh, this team is two for 30. Yeah. in like the last two minutes when they're within four points or whatever. And it's like, Oh, well that's weird. If like five of those drop instead of like bouncing in it, like what, what, how does that impact their crunch time numbers and then their overall record? So, I mean, it's just like a lot of luck and weirdness and um, and randomness, frankly. So like, yeah, I'm not concerned at all really about how the Clippers have kind of struggled in crunch time. Yeah, I mean, you brought this up earlier about how, you know, they like the idea of going small. And I know Ty Lue likes that idea a lot. They just haven't really been healthy enough with their perimeter players to go small as often as I think they want to. Uh, I think they want to have Beverly in those lineups, you know, for the rebounding more than anything. And he's just hasn't been available. So it's harder for them to get to that point. But Zubac has closed more than I thought he would, you know, just based on the fact that he's, I guess, nominally the second choice center among them. And mm-hmm. Ty Lue says that it's because, you know, I don't want Serge sitting for eight minutes and then have to come back in cold. And it's like, you could just say you want Zubac to close. It's fine. But <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to see that there's like some diversity in how the Clippers are approaching this because that wasn't the case last year. Uh, one last thing before I let you go. Clippers are reportedly signing DeMarcus Cousins to attend day very soon. I'm curious if you think that means anything, nothing. Uh, another Kentucky guy for the Rondo Patrick Patterson core, you know, <laughs> Rondo and Boogie just can't shake each other. They just can't. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I wrote this column the other day about the Miami heat because they could really use another big man. And I thought that DeMarcus Cousins made a ton of sense for them. And so to see the Clippers jump on that, I was like, I don't, I don't really get it. Like who, like what, 
I, yeah, it's like fra- like frazzling my brain, just even trying to like, sometimes I just don't get signings that teams make sometimes. And I'm kind of like, did you sign this player like A, just because you you could and you wanted to show the league that you were an attractive destination for a big name or like what? Like, I just, I don't know. He's not going to play in the playoffs mm-hmm. um, unless something catastrophic happens. And he didn't look good in Houston. It's one way of putting it. <laughs> so like, what is the deal there? I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I try to like, I'm always like hunting for like the reasons why. And I, I feel like I have a good grasp on it. Usually when I see a, 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 a transaction, but that one just really, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I'm not going to lie. Or maybe it's like, you know, thinking off the top of my head, um, if you're the Clippers, like maybe they want to take someone who they think could help a potential competitor off the market. Mm-hmm. But that goes back to like, but he's not good. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a weird one. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't really have any thoughts about this either, other than there's just so many ties between the Lakers and the Clippers and you just keep multiplying over and over again. And it's kind of funny that DeMarcus Cousins would end up on the Clippers after attempting to be a Laker last year. I don't really know what to characterize that situation as he didn't play any games, but it, it is what it is. Uh, I don't even know if it's a 10 day or like a full rest of the season contract, but the Clippers only have 13 right now. They need to sign a 14th player. So maybe they just are filling their cap mandated roster slot and DeMarcus is in LA and the guys like him. So why not bring him in and see what happens? Uh, I think your point about bringing in a player who other teams were after is interesting. Like that's the only reason why I could think the Clippers were in that Drummond Aldridge sweepstakes, so to speak. Um, but again, like Marcus Cousins isn't good. I, I don't get it. Maybe, maybe he's better than Patrick Patterson. I don't know, but he doesn't shoot threes as well as Patrick Patterson. I, I, I don't, no, I don't get it. Yeah. He like the oxygen that Patrick Patterson needs to survive is just like minuscule. Right. <laughs> the oxygen that DeMarcus Cousins needs is like, uh, okay, no one else can breathe. It's like a full tank there. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little, it's a little different. All right. Was there anything else that you think is interesting about the Clippers that we haven't hit on yet, Michael? Um, oh, you mean we weren't about to talk about Rondo for the next 60 minutes? <laughs> That wasn't going to happen. I mean, I, I had that much time blocked out in my calendar, but I wasn't sure what your okay. plan was. Okay. Um, well, I don't want to put you through that. Um, no, I mean, they are, you know, having watched them, I try to, you know, I, I watch the whole league and it's really difficult to stay on top of every team. But in watching every game that they've played, their last four or five games, um, I've kind of, came away like more confident than I thought I would in how they've played and how they've looked. And um, considering that Paul George didn't play in a lot of those games. And then, you know, you look at the Denver Nuggets game last night, like he, I mean, he played quote unquote, but like not what he would have played in an actual game that mattered, um, Mm -hmm. particularly in the fourth. Like, I don't even know why they brought him back in at the end. I was like, I can tell you exactly why they brought him back in at the end because they got so much flack in that Brooklyn Nets game a couple, was it a month ago when his minutes restriction expired and they couldn't have him in the final minutes. So Ty Lue deliberately took him out early in the fourth quarter and then brought him back. So he could be like, Hey, he played in clutch time. (laughs) I managed the minutes right this time. (laughs) No, I I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. Um, But 
Yeah, like I'm just looking forward to seeing this team in the playoffs. I'm really looking forward to seeing Kawhi in the playoffs. I want to see how aggressive he is. Um, I want to see him not be short on every other jump shot, which is really hurting my soul. Um, I'm not dealing with that well at all um, and don't really know why it is. I hope he bounces back and um, is a little bit more accurate on those 10-footers. But, but no, I'm just like, I'm really pumped and intrigued by this team. I think their ceiling is higher than any team in the Western conference. I'd say the team with the highest ceiling in the league is probably the Nets. Unfortunately, that also pains me to say out loud. Um, but I love teams that are versatile and have a ton of talent. And I mean, our whole discussion today was basically about like how they had good problems, mm-hmm. too many good players, which totally like a lot of teams in the league would kill for a player who's doing exactly what Kennard is doing or Reggie Jackson is doing. And they have a bunch of them. So um, yeah, I just, I, I love watching this team. I am, I'm not supposed to say this, but I'm probably going to be rooting for them because they were my preseason pick and I don't like being wrong. Are they this year's Houston Rockets for you, Michael? Well, in the sense that I picked them to win it all. Yes. <laughs> in the sense that they won't just like crash and burn in the second rounding and hopefully not. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I really like the Clippers and I mean, I also shouldn't say this, but as long as the Lakers don't win it all, I'm, I'm thrilled. <laughs> well, that's as good of a place as any to end on. So thank you so much for coming by to talk about the Clippers you can find Michael's work at Sports Illustrated and he co-hosts the Open Floor podcast with Ben Golliver, which is just delightful. And I am told that there was a lot of Terrence Mann talk this week. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. Thanks again for listening to our show. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google, and we will catch you next week.